out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of Patrick Hanna, the drummer and occasional producer, to find out more about life, love, poetry, and all that other groovy stuff. Anyway, famous for various bands, including The Sundays, as well as um, The Audience, Arnold, and also working with people like Robin Hitchcock. Anyway, enough of that. Um, And after several minutes of casual chat... We get down to the interview. And uh, yes, we start with that uh, classic opening line about the early musical development. You know, the awakening period of anyone's life. Anyway, this is Patrick in full flow. Patrick, tell us more. I don't know. Uh, well, I sidestepped a lot of that glam and punk for some reason. But um, I, I was kind of, when I was a little kid, I was really into Cliff Richard. Excellent. <laughs> um, and then, but the, I remember the first album I really wanted to buy was um, Stevie Wonder. And I went out to buy, went, went and got um, Master Blaster. I remember buying that. Buy me, that was a bit cool. But yeah, maybe. I was kind of then into like a lot of Steely Dan and so less, slightly less cool, but cool in its own way. Yes. Um, um, but then started getting into my teenage years getting into listening to John Peel under the covers and right. recording on, onto my C86 cassette or C90 probably. D, yes, the TDK <laughs> D90 cassettes yeah, were famous. I'd, I'd, I'd have it on pause and if I heard the beginning of something that I quite liked I'd, I'd, I'd record it and then you know review it all the next day. Yes. And see what, I remember going and buying um, Dolly by Micro Disney. Right. God, that was, was hip. That was on Rough Trade, and I was—I I don't know—hip, but it was. Yeah, uh, I, I went down the record store, had to order it. We li- lived in Fleet, New Hampshire. Went to the record box, this little record shop. Gave them the the number, or they looked up the number of it. Ordered it, and about a week or so later, it turns up. You go collect <laughs> it. That's how we used to listen to music. And yes. None of this instant. I want that now. Yes. Well, it was the same. It was the same. I, I sort of remember buying single, uh, the first single, and you had to save up for weeks, if not months, to get 89p to buy the day yeah, space oddity. You know, and it, yeah, we didn't have anything like. I, I come from a village in the countryside. I'm very rural, so it was little town. See. So you know, it was literally like. I think it was the. Uh, there wasn't a record shop. It was like a hardware shop that sold washing machines, toasters, that kind of thing. And, oh, look, we've got some records that you might want. And it's like, That's oh. brilliant, yeah. <laughs> it, was that. it was very backward, but, you know. I, mean. no, I remember <laughs> nice our, way. We, we could go to Farnborough, close, fairly close by, and go to, go to an R-Price Records. That was exciting. That was yeah. very impressive. So what period was were your... Because, you know, there, there'd been the sort of the glam period. Okay, this is a bit basic. Simpli- simplified but you know you had the glam then you had punk you had a bit of prog rock heavy metal and then post punk period and then yes, the sir. indie indie sound of like 83 which i put it down that was the years of the smiths so when were you all sort of mm. that formative kind of the next formative you know the teen years when you started thinking mm. i might stay out late don't wait for me dad yeah i think i think you'd almost call it new wave so it's sort of post-punk pop right a postcard really really influenced by postcard orange juice 
Aztec camera. Um, and yeah, the, that sort of guitar pop. Yes. Band. I loved, I loved Haircut 100, Nick Hayward. Classic. That was fantastic <laughs> day. Massively. Into <laughs> it's funny. I, uh, I think I was probably learning drums at the same time as Taylor Hawk uh, from uh, from um, Foo Fighters. Oh, okay. Is it Taylor Hawk. Is it Taylor Hawk. Well, possibly. I've seen his <laughs> tattoos. I don't know. Yeah, I, I saw an interview with him with Steve Lamack, and he was saying that he used to play along to Haircut One Hundred, which is exactly what I used to do as well. I used to play along to records in my in my bedroom. Yes. When I got when I got home from school, it would be um, yeah a lot of indie, but also Steely Dan. So why top, the drums? Because the drums must have been the one thing your parents wouldn't want. Yeah, you'd think so. My brother was a bass player. He was in a band called Jim Jiminy. Right uh, from the from the eighty from the uh, yeah eighties sort of they were on they were a little indie band they had a, they almost had a hit at one point uh, but because uh, he was a bass player I thought oh I'll learn drums I was actually probably tricked into playing drums by his drummer who wanted to get out of the school brass band so he taught me drums so that I could take his place and he could slip away right sly <laughs> yeah very sly. But yeah, but I ended up, my dad said to me, if you, if you stick with it for a year doing lessons, then we, we'll get you a drum kit. So I went after a year, my dad was true to his word. We went to Kingfisher Records, uh, Kingfisher Music in Fleet. It's a really amazing rec, uh, music shop back there. A lot of bands used to go, come to Fleet just to go to Kingfisher Music and got, got a premier drum kit. Blimey. Did you feel kind of a sense of responsibility, like, Christ, I'm really going to have to use this now, because otherwise it's going to be... Yeah, I did think that I had to do something, because I'd got this. It was, it was, I didn't didn't take it lightly. It wasn't like, I'm going to be bored with this in in a couple of weeks. It wasn't like the ukulele of today, was it? Not exactly, no. So um, I'm not sure how how much my neighbours enjoyed it, but but (laughs) they got a lot of, uh, yeah... Early they probably never indie, want to hear Nick Kershaw ever again. Do they? <laughs> it was probably... never Nick Kershaw. It's Nick Hayward. Oh, not Nick Kershaw. God, sorry. The mullet. It was the, yeah. Easy mistake. Yeah, Nick, Nick Kershaw was a bit more 60s sounding. So I kind of like that sound. And I, yeah, it was the same with Orange Juice. They had that kind of yeah. 50s, 60s sound, but brought into sort of with a, with a post-punk twist to it. Yes. Uh, which because most people are... Thing, I think. Because most people I've interviewed from from that, especially the eighties indies period, they there's like three bands that people talk about. They might be four actually. There's mm. Orange Juice, who are obviously a bit earlier, and they always mention Postcard Records. And then the Smiths, June Brides, and the Go Betweens. They were the ones, weren't they? So did they yes. come into your aura, or at least your yeah aura? Um, I'd add Prefab Sprout to that, right? A little more, a little more Fay, but. Uh, fantastic i thought um and martin stevenson and the, and the dainties well, boat to bolivia really classic really amazing that stuff I see, he's still playing actually he come um we were booked to see him in camberley i think or winchester or something um but that got blown up the water but yeah he still plays yes um i think I, I think for a fee he'd come to your kitchen and play at the moment wouldn't he probably would actually yeah <laughs> yeah 
Yes. So, yeah, it was it was that that sort of stuff. Yeah. And so when do, when did you start to sort of obviously having a drum kit means that you're, you're not going to go busking on the streets. But when did you form or get into the first band? Was this with your brother? Um, I I wasn't so much in. We, we played at our church a bit, me and my brother in the rhythm section of the uh, of the church band. We weren't we never really the church part so seriously it was quite just fun to play yeah um but i ended up in about four different bands because in a small town it wasn't quite as small as your town but in a small town like fleet there's only so many drummers that are any good i yes. seem to be able to so yeah i did a lot you know played with a lot of different bands and i went to, then went to farnborough tech and i started just setting up gigs gigs there instead of doing what i was supposed to be doing which is electrical engineering um yeah start setting up gigs there and around about yes um so as the 80s progress we had you know because i've put indie pop down between the years of 83 to 87 the years of the smiths and yeah not 100 percent you know watertight theory but you know it's kind of okay because there was definitely a vibe at that period and that was where i was kind of you know must have been obsessed in you know the john peel show recording that every night if i could and then buying the NME on a Wednesday and just going to any little scratchy little gig at the art centre and all that kind of business. And then things kind of changed. Yeah. So during that, and then the cassette comes out, the NME cassette, the C86 cassette. So it was definitely a feeling of good times. So was that where you were at college still and still sort of learning learning the ropes? Yeah. I mean, I've been cocktail twins into that as well. That was a major, yes. major thing Christ, of course. Um, at that point um and a lot yeah um i guess yeah i guess being at being at college you, you've got a bit more time in your hands than you do when you when you get a job so yes yeah uh, and i use that time just just for music really didn't really do anything else just obsessed with music because a lot of the bands that were from that early 80s who who sort of formed and, and did the scene for about five years. I mean, in mm. that period, you know, Thatcher got into power in sort of 79. There was the Falkland War. There was a huge amount of unemployment and a lot of young people felt like, oh, well, there you go. There's no future. So we'll just be unemployed. And there's a job seekers allowance and enterprise allowance schemes. And if you had a thousand pounds, you could do one of those things and and just go, right, I'm, I'm going to be a self-employed um, musician, poet, flower, mm. flower arranger. It didn't really matter. You know, you just had to put something down. But you got, you know, £40 or £30 a week. Yeah, I mean, my, in, in Fleet, the, the unemployment was rate was so low that they used to have the signing on place was in the one of the little village halls, like once every two weeks or something. And it was pretty much just a few of the bands would be that you'd meet <laughs> up there. And they would be like, off, oh, we, yeah, we've got to sign on, then we can go up to, you know, Newcastle and do a gig sort of thing. <laughs> it, wasn't really, it wasn't really taking the whole getting a job Very overly seriously. seriously. But yeah, you, you, had to, you had to sort of plan your tours around your signing on day. Yes, that was... Yeah, and the dole was really... Uh, a grant for young bands that's how we looked at it anyway it was definitely it definitely had that vibe so then <laughs> something major happened ish apart from the smiths breaking up which was heartbreaking but then 
ecstasy came in and there, there was definitely the 16 to 18 year old that had been there a few years earlier the next generation came in and they wanted their sort of sound and there was like obviously the world of you know the happy monday stone roses primal scream um uh, who else soup dragons you know there was definitely the ravey yeah. culture but there was the other band there were those bands from london north london like my bloody valentine and lush and carter the unstoppable sex machine and the mm-hmm. faith healer so there was that kind of north london we're still doing it and then you you sort of come along as well with a kind of hello we're still here vibe yeah we were cut we were sort of quite an old school indie band sounding yeah, proper band and you, you can actually if anyone's interested in hearing one of our very first gigs i've noticed that it's for some somehow we, we played the falcon um oh, right. in camden in 87 i think and it was it was the the when we really got noticed but someone actually recorded that gig and if you just put in the sundays the falcon you'll you can hear the whole gig our, our whole set in not the best quality but listenable yes that was it was amazing someone did that and you can actually hear that it's like a little piece of history for us anyway well absolutely moment in time so when did you when did you suddenly realize after various other bands and other other sort of uh, little experiences when did you sort of think right we are the band this is the gang we're going to be the clash for the for the late 80s we are you know that gang mentality and we've got a name well I, I still wanted to play with a few different, I still wanted to do a few different things, even when I was enjoying the sun. I kind of left the, the Sundays initially because I didn't think they had any decent material. And then, <laughs> and then I saw them playing at the Oval with a drum machine. And um, Paul came up to me and said, oh, you should really give it another go. We've got some really good songs now. So um, I, I rejoined and yeah, it was they they had then here's where the story ends and um the finest hour, I think, and a couple of other things. And we we started rehearsing and it quickly yeah, quickly turned into something after that. Yes. But I think but I think it, at that point we were still just thinking it's just gonna be a little indie band. I I don't think anyone thought it's gonna be, you know, as big as it became. Yeah. It wasn't like, because I, I remember a few years ago reading Morrissey's book, and uh, obviously, um, and, uh, you know, the obsession of it was quite extraordinary. You know, the, the obsession of being in the band and doing music was, was something so committed. I mean, you know, being a tortured artist and all that. But so did this, were you much more like, well, we're kind of young students and we're quite enjoying it and we'll do this and then we'll probably not do it again, rather than thinking, my God we've got some you know we've got this plan we're definitely going to go for it right well that at that point dave and harriet were thinking of it um more seriously and they'd moved to london back back to london from bristol and i was living in london as well and paul paul moved to london and and we we weren't students anymore and i was working at um i was working at rehearsal at the premises rehearsal studio and yeah, we d- we definitely took it more seriously, but I think it was always still going to be, you know, we can maybe, you know, if we can get a seven-inch record out, that would be amazing. Yes, get it, get it into the, into the top in the indie charts. <laughs> At number forty-three. Yes. Yeah, that would we, be ah, oh, would be the 
pinnacle. <laughs> That'll be it. Because most bands, <clears throat> you know, that I've interviewed, and I didn't really realise this, they have that five-year narrative. Well, there's several things. Mm. They have the, the, you know, they get together, they have 12 months rehearsing, playing, doing a few gigs, mostly in front of, you know, friends and family and anybody else they can emotionally blackmail to see them and, you know, kind of enjoying it. And then getting the single and then giving the John Peel, having that moment is like for most people, like, wow, that's it. And then a John Peel session is is another moment. And then I didn't realize this kind of organic network, all these, every town and city had, had several, well, mostly had one venue and obviously London had more but you know one of those alternative indie nights that you'd have um, like Norwich had the Wild Club in the Arts Centre and and that was probably a Monday or Tuesday night and you'd have three bands for 350 or something like that and then you had you know like Leicester you had the Princess Charlotte and then the Duke of York and Leeds I mean everybody every town had one of those things but at least that meant you could all get in your little transit van and whiz up the motorway on down there well, we used to call that paying paying your dues, and yes. you would, yeah, you would you would look down on a band that hadn't done that, that had got successful without playing the Princess Charlotte at least three or four times, and having <laughs> the their delicious, <laughs> yeah, having their delicious um, vegetarian chili that they they gave, <laughs> um, and yeah, going up to King Tut's as well, and. Classic. Yeah, all, all those all those little venues, but you you kind of were supposed to do that. That was you, you weren't a proper band unless you'd gone around those a few times in a tra- in a transit van. Sometimes in a transit van, unloading at four in the morning. Absolutely, yeah, and driving home as well because you couldn't afford if you if you couldn't get you know on sleeping on someone's floor, then you'd have to drive back. Yes, um, <clears throat> this is so, true. Yeah, we, did, we did do a lot of that. I'm with my brother's bands and a few other little bands, but we didn't do it so much with the Sundays because we kind of, you know, we we didn't pay our dues maybe as much as some bands. Right. On the, on the toilet circuit. You were, you fast-tracked, didn't you? <laughs> we did a little bit. <laughs> but that must have felt great because the gatekeep. I mean, you know, the thing about the gatekeepers at that period, you know, did give people that access quite not quickly because obviously that doesn't always happen but you know that there was like oh tick that oh tick this oh my god we're mm. suddenly well at least we have progress and because you know there's an as you can imagine you know cherry red records have released all these compilations they had one of liverpool they had five cd box set they had one of manchester which is seven cds that had they've mm. had sheffield there's none for norwich of them let's face it norwich is a bit bereft of kind of bands you know we had the higgs well, farmers boys yeah we used thinking. to we used to go and see the higgsons and the farmers boys as much as we could they we were massive fans of those me and my mates that that is not not the sundays so much no yeah me and my mates were, were we'd go and see them as much as we could yes yeah but, but um, you weren't going to get a Norwich rich, scene. There was a Norwich scene of two bands and possibly <laughs> yeah. the Farmers Boys. And popular, popular voice, I think there was a band called Popular Voice. So that, yeah, they weren't that popular, though, were they? <laughs> oh, no, none of them actually were popular. No, <laughs> the boys. Um, so yeah, so yeah, so yeah, so then at the turn of the decade, because you did a John Peel session, can you remember? Because you had the famous Dale Griffith, didn't you? We did, and he he was um, and being a kindred he, spirit because he was a drummer. He was, and I got on really well with him. Unfortunately, oh, the rest of the band not so much. And um, every other they, band who's ever been there, they always hate yes. Dale Griffith. Actually, they really did. <laughs> we ended up them. actually. We ended up. You're supposed to do four songs. If you notice on our session, there's only three 
three tracks. What happened? I think they had a little kind of blower. I missed it, but I think Dale pushed Dave at one point, like physically pushed him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we weren't we weren't used to to being in a big studio either, so that was kind of a bit daunting. Yeah, but, but but the sweet thing afterwards, and this is something that I, re- I regret not keeping, was he actually wrote me a letter, Dale Dale Griffin, and he. Um, he just gave me some he said oh it's really i thought you played really well um and then he just gave me some tips about the drum kit because my drum kit which was still the first drum kit that i got from kingfisher record uh, music but from my dad uh he said it's 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 just not up to it you need to get this such and such and such so i ended up going out and buying a, a yamaha drum kit after right that. but but he yeah there was this letter just give me a load of Load of, load of advice really really in a nice way i think he kind of tried tried to be nicer to drummers maybe as well than than arty guitarists yeah yeah you kind of you can kind of understand where he's coming from though absolutely but, yeah. yeah he's probably seen so many but then because <laughs> because you did hit gold quite early didn't you i mean did was that with can't be sure did you at the time? I mean, obviously, you're not going to go, oh, blast, that's annoying. But looking back, did you think, God, that was a bit too too much too soon to quote the specials? Can't, um, can't be sure, wasn't supposed to go into the top 40 and it was heading for the top 40. And I, I, I don't have this as I heard a rumor that phone calls were made and it was like, Paul, because it was like literally the first single. And I don't think even the album was finished when that was out. So it was 89. So I think they kind of pulled back on on a bit of the uh, the marketing just to, just to, so it didn't go into the top 40. Otherwise, we'd be on top of the pops. We'd at least get a mention. Yes. Be, you got to 40. You got 45, didn't you? That seems really strange. I, th- I believe so, yeah. It, it was. That was a bit weird. <laughs> That was that was almost up there with God Save the Queen, wasn't it? But did how did you get on with Rough yeah. Trade? How did you? How, sorry, I was going to say, how did you get on with Rough Trade Records? I I did personally. I didn't have a lot to do with them. I I knew Jeff and Janine and a few of the few of the people there, but I, I only really saw them at gigs. I I wasn't involved in any sort of business side of stuff. Yes, uh, but but I think they got on really well. I mean, the, the the story I heard from from Dave is that when they'd been taken out to a load of um, by a lot of major record companies to dinners, posh dinners and stuff, and I went to a couple of those and ordered steak <laughs> just to just to beef up the uh, excuse the pun to the yeah the bands you know cred we'll get it you know want to be a wimpy vegetarian man which we obviously were um so uh jeff jeff Tra- uh jeff travis took dave and harriet out for a meeting to see if they wanted to sign with rough trade and he took them around the corner to a little cafe they ordered three hot chocolates and he split the bill And they still signed for him. They particularly signed with him, I think, because of that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 
blimey, it's not so, like Seymour uh, Stein or something, was it? <laughs> not really, no. Kind of I, take, I think it was A&E got cocaine out and all that. No, I think they three hot I chocolates. Think, I don't want to speak for them so much, but I think that they that they were felt more comfortable there yeah. than in the big shiny offices with with um you know sort of high powered execs buying expensive dinners and sort of trying to show off. I don't think that worked for them, which, I, you know, I admire that very much. Well, yes, in because in, uh, most bands don't realise that everything that's happening is being put on the bill, really, do they? Exactly, yeah, because all those dinners they would have probably paid for. Yes, you would have paid signed, for them indirectly. If they'd signed with, the, with, those, with those labels, yeah. Absolutely. So then you were obviously in the studio straight away, and that was, you know, <clears> that was quite amazing as, an, as a debut album. It went... I mean, it was so successful. What was your What's your memory of um, getting the material and the recording process? Uh, it was we d- we did can't be sure first with but with Ray Shulman in a in a in a nicer studio I thought than we started the album in. It was like a um, oh, I haven't named it South Coach or something like that, but. Um, we, I thought, you know, the production on that was a little. There was they would, they had a little bit of demoitis, so they they'd been using drum machines a lot, and they kind of liked the tom tom sound and can't be sure from the drum machine. So right. I remember playing it, and then it being it my my tom tom triggering the drum machine sound, so it kind of was like, oh, that sounds a bit, yeah. But that but they but they had it, you know. Do you know what demoitis is when a band? No. A, de- a band sort of gets so attached to their demos that when they go into the studio, they get freaked out because everything sounds different. Okay. Um, and I think that sound really just fitted with what they were doing. Um, and so they kind of, there were a few things like that happening. Yeah. And they were tra- transitioning into a big studio, which was, they were, they were thought, oh, it's just going to be a bigger sound. And they were kind of trying to deal with that. Um, and then we went into a studio called Orinoco Studios and we did started doing the drums in a I, I remember it not being a very pleasant experience because I was in a big room with a video camera next to me and they were in a, a room about three minute walk away in the, in the control room and I was just listening to like a, a, a very thin sounding DI'd guitar for the guide guide me through the song yes and trying to play drums to that it was um yeah it wasn't wasn't a a very uh uh pleasant experience i would have liked to be in a bat you know in a room with at least the band playing whether whether you kept everything or not yes had you had you rehearsed the material that much i mean was it quite familiar and and sort of knocked into shape. I remember, you know, the story of Black Sabbath's first album where they'd been playing it for years. So they just went in the studio and went, right, okay, we'll do it. Oh, it's done in a, in a sort of a day or an afternoon. Did I just wondered if you'd got the kind of material pretty much there and it just needed a bit of magic fairy dust. I think it was there. And we were we had been playing live. We'd done a tour with um throwing muses. Excuse me. And um, at that time, we we'd hit number one in the indie charts, and they were number two. But we yes. were supporting them, so it's because I learned um, that it was interesting. Because that was that eighty eight, eighty nine. You were supporting them. That that, I, that must have been eighty nine. 
Because I saw Throwing Moosers when they were also with um, the Pixies doing a 4AD kind of tour together. So they'd obviously right. been doing quite a lot at that time. And were you yeah, already picking up quite a head of, uh, you know, like quite a fan base as well? I believe so. I think it was it was growing to the to the point where we we started headlining the the year after that. I guess when the album. I don't think we really did any headline tours until the the album came out. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I think I think it was picking up, uh, and we, we yeah we were getting people at, at shows. Yeah, because there was a because I remember during that period there was that slightly sophisticated chin-strokey kind of crowd which I was probably part of that you know slightly whimsical and, and uh, angsty all the time you know like there had been bands like the 10,000 Maniacs hadn't there with Natalie yeah. Merchant and it was all very thoughtful and sort of meaningful lyrics and stuff like that and then obviously the Sundays also had that quality as well so do, were you I just wondered if your audience you you were sort of looking out there going oh yes we've got we're, we're picking up quite a loyal fan base here I think it was quite young. It was sort of a young studenty audience, um, and I, I'm not sure. I, I, I believe they, they were hard to tell then whether they were, you know, going to stick with you. But um, I believe some of them have. Yes, well, absolutely. And when the when, when the album came out, obviously there was a huge amount of excitement and, and enthusiasm because. I always think when when the decade turns as well, you know, it always feels like a, a fresh chapter. And so that was the kind of beginning of the 90s. But at the same time, mm. we just had the whole Seattle grunge scene sort of in full force as well. And then a few years later, obviously, that kind of goes. And then you have Britpop. So obviously, so did you did you sort of feel a little bit like, oh, my God, we're just in the middle of like basically of this huge kind of never mind explosion. And we're sort of playing these very sort of sensitive songs. I just wonder how that was for the band. I think we didn't really get involved in with with other bands very much. We weren't in a we weren't in a gang of bands particularly. Um, we didn't really hang out at, at you know at the good mix or anything like that. Yes. Um, as a as a band anyway. Um, but we we got whisk, whisked off to America pretty smartish, and put into club gigs. And it it grew really fast. It it grew faster in America than anywhere else. Right. And um, yeah, we we would we started doing really well over there. But obviously, around us, when we were in America, it was just grunge was was hitting pretty hard by then. And but I I don't think that uh, I don't think that affected us. I don't think people thought, oh, they're not. You know, I think. I think people actually just had us in a in a separate yeah uh, cat category to all of that, and it wasn't exclusive to that. We we could we could you know play along those sort of bands if we if we wanted to, and it, it, it would kind of fit in. Yeah, those alternative discos. That Definitely, people, yeah, we love them. Um, yeah, so America's because the one thing because often you know bands. But I found, you know, they have that kind of a five-year narrative. One of the things that finishes a lot of bands off, they often say, is then they often say the words, we went to America and then we split up, um, like 90%. <laughs> and, uh, so you, how was your ex American experience? Well, personally, I loved every second of it. I couldn't, 
get enough of it. And we were we were also going over to Japan uh, a little bit, which was brilliant. And uh, didn't get to Australia, unfortunately, but and and then around around Europe as well. But um, we we probably toured in America more than anywhere else by far. Yes, and it it grew there the fastest, and it kind of just just really worked. But I I enjoyed it very much because I being a drummer. You love being on a tour bus. You love being at a gig and going to the bar next door afterwards. It was just like an ideal world. Yes. But, you know, uh, but not so much for, for Dave and Harriet. Paul, Paul, Paul enjoyed it, I think. But Dave and Harriet were not as comfortable with a lot of travel for a start. And, and then they were more famous, than, obviously, than me and Paul. So they, it was harder for them to to kind of hang out next to the next to the uh, gig afterwards i could go straight across the road and have a pint yes. straight after the gig and no one would hassle me but harriet and dave couldn't do that so much yeah i mean it was um i suppose it is quite interesting because i know mick fleetwood you know he just loved you know he's just one of those people who just loved to be on the road and then he just said mm. you know, he just he just didn't enjoy it when the tour finished because he just loved checking into the hotel having clean sheets towels little soaps you know just having a nice time doing that whole Absolutely. thing going to the sound check sorting that having a few more drinks do the gig have a nice you know it was just like he just said god you know he just hated being at home really and <laughs> normality of life you know it was almost like that's why when people go god does that band not stop and it's like yeah but have you seen the members you know what are they going to do otherwise it's almost like exactly i mean obviously when you get into your 70s it's probably a bit harder to keep that lifestyle going but it's interesting because when i did yesterday i did an interview with a drummer with the heartthrobs and he said that heartthrobs mark one was a bit tricky because there was two sisters who were fighting and they were also in relationships with the two men and both of their relationships weren't it's doing kind perfect. of a mini fleet with mac scenario i guess was it, it was hard but, not but to with, mention. The, with the sisters yeah <laughs> it was hard not to kind of think don't say fleetwood mac oh, I'll say fleetwood <laughs> mac actually. and the same with the go-betweens they also had the fleetwood mac didn't they because the two two men were dating two women in the band they weren't just right like, left the bass player on his own at the bar probably with some winos so that didn't absolutely end well. um so how was how was you know because obviously you're thinking oh we'll be in a nice band and we'll play a few gigs and then it's like yeah, this is really going quite well and you couldn't really you know like fantasize that this would be your place you know within a couple of years so how did the band sort of start to develop and, and take that kind of responsibility as it started to kind of build up such a head of steam well, I was just, personally, I was just hoping this would go on forever and we'd just be, be we would never stop touring, just go home occasionally. Yes. And uh, then go back out on the tour. That, that, was, that was all I was thinking. But obviously they weren't having as good a time as me. Um, and they, they are a couple. They were a couple then and they are a couple. And that must... You know that can be a, that can be amazing. I think if you if you've got the right relationship, yes. Um, but I don't think either of them are particularly enjoying enjoying it. So, um, so they kind of maybe bonded more over not enjoying touring so much. We don't get me wrong; we had really good times, and they they had a real they did have a laugh on, uh, and we used to you know go out quite a bit. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, we we met fans a lot, and and it, yeah, it was 
um, there was a little bunch that followed us around that we kind of uh, got to know. Yeah, they kind of you'd, you'd, the tour bus would pull over in it for a, for a gas stop, and you might get out to use the facilities or buy something, and there'd be like two cars pull in, and they're full of fans, and they'd get out, and they've been following you ac across the Arizona desert for six hours. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> like, yes. Well, there was that kind of a lot of that going on. God, that must have been both unsettling and enjoyable. It was. It was really good fun. Oh, excellent! Because then you'd go get back on the on the bus and go to bed if you wanted to. But <laughs> yes, absolutely. So then, when when you came to sort of making the famous second album, the follow up album, was mm. there was that quite? Did that sort of come together quite easily, or was it like, oh my god, we've been working now really solidly? And feeling a bit burnt out now we've got to do this or was there just kind of had you been sort of playing and rehearsing a bit on the road to to sort of get the material going i can't remember having a lot of time with that material before we started recording it but we, there was a lot of um programming going on on that on that album um and i did i played on everything but not necessarily all the parts at the same time um, so the, you know, it was pieced together a little bit. Um, but we always ended up putting live cymbals and hi-hats and, uh, at least over the, t over the top of program stuff so that we had, um, so we had that live drum feel. Yes. Uh, a lot of the parts I would be learning from a, from a programmed drum part, which is, which I found really interesting and uh, and kind of inspiring because i had to translate the the program drums from someone who did, couldn't play drums and then i had to put make that into a into a drum pattern and play it with all the bits and keep it going and sometimes they'd be they'd have you know done the tom added toms in here and there and 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 drum fills and they wanted the drum fills as they were exactly so i'd have mm. to learn the drum fills which and i actually really enjoy doing it like that because i think sometimes when you just left your own devices you might be a little lazy not yeah. not put as much thought into into drum patterns as as you should so when you're challenged to play these parts then it's it actually it, you actually have to step up and and really uh, learn them properly uh, yes as as a part and then they're and then because the guitarist uh, has written them they're really working with what he's doing and then you start to lock in and then he, the bass parts he's, he he would have taught the bass player some of the things he wanted to do as well so it all kind of locked together and i think that the, the a little bit of a shame about that album is we couldn't tour we couldn't rehearse uh, we didn't have enough time to rehearse them really well so it was like that and then record them like that right so we had to kind of record them in a sort of putting it together from program parts and in in the studio but when we took it on the road it actually took on a life of its own and it it raised itself to another level in terms yes. of us play, playing as a band we were then uh, i i really enjoyed playing blind the the songs from blind live and i think if we'd have then at the end of that tour re-recorded the album that would have been the album 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It was kind of, you know, like you were saying about, at the beginning you were saying about paying your dues. And it was like, you know, most, mm. a lot of bands have that kind of period of playing a lot of gigs live, you know, and obviously the Beatles is one of the obvious ones because they went to Hamburg because obviously the manager thought, you're good, but you kind of need to be knocked <laughs> into shape. And a lot of bands, you know, like, you know, I suppose, you know, Black Sabbath and people like that, you know, played endlessly yeah. until they got to record it. And then it was like, oh yeah, this is absolutely fine. So it's interesting that would have been the case because because it's interesting with the drummer because I was talking to Boo Huadine, who was in the Bible. And yeah, he said, you can get, you, you know, yeah. if you have a good drummer, you're sorted. And then interestingly, over the years, I spoke to Lindy, uh, Lindy Morrison from the Go-Betweens and she she was traumatized as a drummer because of the famous click track experience and the producer who kind of basically mm. said to the band look without her you've got a hit but with her not so good and she she was <laughs> kind of traumatized by this experience and that, then that's that's one hell of an inspiring speech to give to someone isn't it <laughs> yeah and it was like and you're in a relationship and the and they're slightly on the fence going yeah perhaps we could just anyway that was a bit tricky you'll have to hear listen, listen to the interview yeah well, but then there was also i don't know if you saw it uh, the, the wedding present there was a film um, last year came out about the, the album george best and there was a huge bit about the drummer and the producer and there was it gets really complicated and and both the producer goes the drummer goes there's uh, during the film there's this kind of thing that flashes up saying something some legal not i don't know something from the producer who wanted to put something in which made it very kind of odd as a film like some type saying you know yeah, anyway you'll have to watch it so the, mm. the drummer does play a pivotal role in all this doesn't he or she well i i think i haven't done a lot I've, i did a lot of studio work in the in the late 90s uh, with in my brother's studio but i i mainly was a b-side sort of produce, producer engineer uh but i um i think when you're mixing if you put up the drum track and the vocal track and just play those if they're working together, then you can pretty much add anything you want. If 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 those aren't working together, then is you're never going to make that work. It's never mm. going to work as a track. But if it's sitting there and it's got a really nice feel and the, the vocal is sitting in there, I think you've really that shows, you know, that it's going to be a good record. And it's it's hard to yeah, it's it's impossible to to make it work otherwise. Yeah. And did you enjoy, because you did a cover, the famous Wild Horses. Was that an idea that came at the end of the sort of session that you thought we need, we need to do one more track? Or was that something that was knocking around? Well, what happens when you release an album in, in the UK, it's got whatever, 12 tracks on it. And then when you release it in, the, in America, they say, yeah, that's fine, but we want one more track. And so they had to come up with another track to add on to it i mean we didn't have many i think i think these the story i heard from for the reason why here's where the story ends was never released as a single in the uk was we didn't have anything to put on the b-side right so i think they had to they didn't have anything to because you had you had to do it in japan you had to add an, another track in japan as well for the japan release blimey um, yeah um so I think they came, it was never a discussion. They just, this track just came out. I did, I'd never, I didn't play on it, obviously. There's no drums on it. Yes. So, um, yeah, no, it was just it, one of yeah. 
Easy. Yeah, just I think they probably thought we just need something. We love that song. Let's let's do that. We know that we know we know how it goes. So then yeah. you have so then is there a, a kind of sense in the band that it needs to have a bit of a, a rest or a break by then? Uh not from me. <laughs> I was like, let's keep going. Let's let's keep this thing. But it it um at the end of that tour, uh, I don't want to get into it too much, but I think that uh, it was getting really difficult for for Dave to be on the road so much. He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't enjoying it. Yeah, and it came to a sort of a, uh, it came to a crossroads, almost literally, somewhere in the end of a a, a US tour, and um, he went. We all went home and sort of waited to see what would happen. And they kind of said, look, we want to take a bit of a break. Um, and that was that for a little while. Yeah. Did that feel kind of a bit unsettling as you were just thinking, oh, I was, I was, I was just kind of, we were just getting going there. It was, uh, it was terrifying and sad. And um, for me, it was, disastrous because for a drummer to get to that position where you're getting offered lots and lots of different tours supports really massive supports and massive gigs and then just saying no we can't do that that was uh, yeah i don't <laughs> it was really uh, a hard time for me and i had a i had a small child by then as well a little baby Right. So it was kind of there were financial implications as well, obviously. Um, yes. you, only, you know, as a drummer, you, who who is not writing songs on a, on an album, you've you you've only got really the live income. That's it. Yeah. Well, I suppose yes. It's like I remember, you know, Woody Woodmansey from the Spiders and Mars. It was like, God, this is mm. I've wanted this all my life. This is going so terribly well. What could possibly go wrong? quite it is like that you just think what just no you just keep going let's play gigs we love yeah. gigs don't we <laughs> i know this is it this is what this is what we do um did you yeah. i mean at that stage bizarrely because some bands i know who had been around in the 80s and had just kind of lost the momentum and was just getting tired and like i said ecstasy came along and they just didn't want to try and make some dance song a dance track mm. and dance vibe so it was like we'll give it a miss but for you your timing bizarrely you know you walk straight into that brit pop period where almost almost where you know it's mm. kind of yeah almost. almost kind of lined up for you to say look here's the red carpet you guys have already done two albums you're not you don't I've, I mean, obviously, you don't look like old people either, which is good, you know. So you're still looking a bit like you can hang out with the kids without being a bit, a bit too self-conscious. So did you feel like when you're watching Top of the Pops, going, oh, we, that should be us"? Yeah, well, I was. Um, so I'd be like, was 28 when, when, uh, when we stopped touring with the Sundays. So I was kind of right. I really. And in in another sense, I thought, well, I can maybe I can do this again. And I I started actually replying to some ads in Melody Maker for drummers. Yes. So I I I I did do a um, I went to a few auditions. Um, one of the guys from 
yeah yeah a few different things so I, I i nearly joined rialto if you remember them they yes. were kind of like a brit pop band um i ended up joining a kind of more rocky girl uh a band with a girl singer called julie daniels called star 69 no which you probably know we were on um we played we played the dublin castle we did we we paid our dues a little bit on the, with that band and then i was playing with um tim keegan which led to some some um some sessions and some gigs with robin hitchcock and the, oh. so I, play, I, pl I played on moss a uh, couple of tracks on moss elixir at the time with robin and did a few shows with him and um yes yeah. and did you i mean and then did you were you just kind of waiting when static and silence suddenly sort of you got the call again and said well i'd, I'd already joined the audience with sophie ellis bexter so this is about 95 i was in a, i was in arnold the band who were assigned to creation arnold yeah, they were they were at the end of the creation run. That was oh God, I can yes, I can picture the name now. Yes, yeah, we did a we did a an album called Hillside, which is which is a brilliant album, and uh, yeah, I, I got to meet Alan McGee. Oh, excellent! In the meeting. Oh. <laughs> so here's the story. Oh, tell us the story. Do you want the story? I want the story. Hi, Alan, Hi, Alan if you're listening. Excellent, you'll love this. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I. I was invited, I joined, I think we'd done a bit of recording with Arnold in my brother's studio and he, and it was kind of like uh, with them, you, if they, they did, they put, they put, put a track down and if you're near, near the, the drums and a few of the people in the band could play drums, if you're near the drums, when they said, let's do the drums now, you kind of jump on the drum kit and you'd be the drummer on that track. You, you, it was kind of like goal hanging. Yes. To sort of hang near the drum kit if you thought there was going to be a chance of a drum take. And then you, you get on that. But anyway, it was, it, was, it was sort of a little bit of an erratic, weird album. Yeah. Uh, but, but we went up to see Creation, and I, I thought it was a, just a jolly, to be honest. We'd had a few pints in the pub opposite the road, uh, opposite, opposite the, the, um, the offices in yeah. uh, was it? Uh, Primrose Hill. And... We went into, we were, we'd all had a few. We went over and we ended up in this kind of board meeting situation, sitting there. And there was Alan McGee and uh, the accountant and a few A&R people sitting around, all kind of really serious because I think they'd all sort of stopped partying by then so hard. If it had been about two years before that, I, th I don't think it would have been a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <It'd> been fine. <laughs> <laughs> we would have been the sober ones in the in the room yeah but we would yeah so we were just sitting there and then um alan just said that this this track i just don't i don't, I don't get it I don't, I, there's something wrong with it and you know with a little a couple of pints in me a bit of bravado i was saying there's nothing wrong with that track that's amazing i suddenly realized i was the the drummer who'd who the band very long telling the head of Tr creation records that he was not hearing the 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 brilliance of this of this record <laughs> and he he said you've been in the band five minutes well, you know I'm, and had a bit of a go at me which was uh, yeah oh, it wasn't a nice moment yeah but 
Um, <laughs> yeah, they ended up releasing that track as a single, as it was. So Excellent. I don't know what they were hearing at that point. <laughs> uh, it, uh, this would have been a really good story, by the way, if I'd then said, and it was a massive hit. <laughs> Unfortunately... No, it wasn't. It no. What was the track so, titled? I have to listen to this. It now. was called the the uh, the um the the track was called Fleas Don't Fly. Fleas don't fly. Cool. Can't believe they would release it. Fleas can't fly. <laughs> no, amazing, eh? Oh, there you go. So yeah, your but, moment with yeah. Alan. Yes, I don't know. <laughs> you probably felt okay. It's probably the next morning when you woke up, think, oh god, that was not good, was it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, what have I done? yes so then what was the atmosphere like with the third album that was actually my favorite one to record we did it we did all the drums uh they they sent me all the tracks it was again i think there were 15 tracks um uh, a lot of them have been programmed with drum machine just to show me what the, the parts I had a few weeks to sit with those and learn them in a, in my in my rehearsal room. And there was a couple of tracks that they even said, look, just do what you feel on these ones, which was hadn't happened very often before. And then I'm not sure, I think we did a little bit of rehearsing. We did a little bit of rehearsing for it, um, but we went into Rack Studios. I don't think we had, uh, a particular producer we had um some sort of really good engineers and rack studios is a is a brilliant brilliant studio still still there um and i was dry i, I had a great time i asked them to get i think we were only booked in for like eight days for something to do the drums and i was driving my 1964 ford console capri up there parking it parking it in the studio and then mickey most would come out and go ah, oh, that's a nice car it's a bit like my 1964 uh, porsche boxster he's like yeah it's not really like that at all mickey most uh, he was nice though he was always, he was sort of hanging around the studios <laughs> uh, but it was yeah it was that was for me playing that was really an enjoyable experience i i i, I like i yeah, I had a good time, and and all those drums on that on that um, album are, are live, and yeah, not there's no programming stuff. There's maybe a little bit of editing on one or two of them, but yeah, it's pretty much what you hear. Did is, it feel like a kind of a, a nice experience? You know, because I kind of going back to the Smiths, but their their last album, Strange Ways, Here We Come. You know, everyone said it was a lovely experience. Stephen Street was producing it. And it all felt like, you know, the good times were sort of just going to keep rolling on. Did it, did it have a kind of a, a nice positive energy about it? it? It did. Yeah, we were, we, we were having a good time, I believe. I, I think it was very positive, positive time. Yes. Um, and it did take them a while to finish off. We did those sort of eight, seven or eight days put all the drums down and then they sort of disappeared off for a couple of years <laughs> finishing it um but i was i was busy enough i wasn't sort of waiting around for them i had so there was no with, tour with that with, particular album there wasn't going to be um well that i wasn't on it initially because i was 
booked up with um with with other bands but they came to me and they said look it's not working out with the with the drummer we're we they'd started rehearsing with the drummer they said it's it's not working out we really we'd really love it if you could be the drummer on this tour yes. so i sort of shifted a few things around and ended up the first thing we did was the first live thing we did was tfi friday right with um which is yeah with uh, which is live a live tv show with evans with chris evans Chris Evans. so that was kind of yeah back in with a string section so um blimey that, it wasn't my life story string section was it by any chance it wasn't it was um someone called audrey so uh, did all the string arrangements. She she put just a four piece string yes. section together. Yeah, I did. I did a tour actually. I was playing with Bennett during the um, Bennett. Yes. During yeah during that that Britpop time, I was just standing in for their drummer for a tour. His wife was having a baby, and we were the tour was Bennett, Rialto, and My Life Story. Yes, classic Britpop, <laughs> orchestral Britpop. There was another band at that time called Minty that was kind of quite... Yeah, I know Minty, yeah. RT, in a mm. good way. But then, yeah, so we were sort of... So then after your experience on TV there, did you do any kind of other kind of get on Yeah, the we, headed, we headed out to the States and did a month-long tour of the States and then came back to the UK, did two shows in the UK. and pretty much that was it that was the last kind of time you were on stage with each other they, that was the last the last uh live experience with the sundays yeah yeah and did it feel like that was going to be the last two dates no i think we thought i thought there was going to be more coming yes. up in the in the new year um and dave has said look we think we, we've enjoyed it we're thinking about it we'll, you know you're interested and i said yeah i definitely would yeah definitely uh, but it just didn't happen for whatever reason. God, that's um. But I was still busy with her. I was still doing um, so playing with Sophia Lispector in the audience, yeah, and a few other things. So, so it wasn't, you know, catastrophe time. No, again. you were sort of. So then, ninety-seven, new Labour. Um, did, mm. then sort of what happens next? To you know, like obviously Dave and Harriet. Are, got their thing and doing it what about yourself did you then sort of continue your life in music yeah so I, I, at that point I think I'm possibly still playing I, I remember I was playing with Arnold and the audience at the same time because I remember playing Reading Festival playing the Guardian stage I believe with Arnold putting down my sticks running across to the probably would have been the Dr. Martin stage and on the, you know, picking up the sticks there and playing a set with them. So we, it was, it was a busy time. I was doing a lot, a lot of different things and a lot of uh, recording. Yes. And, and we had, the audience had three or four top 40 songs at that point. Yeah. Did it um, ever feel as kind of much fun as it did with the Sundays? Did were the Sundays much more your thing, whereas these other bands were much more like, well, it's fun. It's a, it's a, you know, it's better than something else, but it's not quite my bad, you know, not kind of your, I suppose, ownership, you know, with the Sunday, you know, like you were very much part of the Sundays, weren't you? 
Yeah, I guess the 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 main difference though was that I was the youngest one in the Sundays, and then I was not maybe not the oldest, but I was getting there to yes. be the oldest in the in the next lot of bands I was playing with. <laughs> so it it kind of switched around a little bit like that, even you know even in the late nineties. But um, I th- I think we still had a, a you know I I still had a good I I do good touring. Yes. Uh, um, and not crazy, you know. I've never done drugs, but we we had a drink and um, we had a laugh. Yeah. Um, and I think I think, you know, it was it was good fun at the time. Yeah. So have you stayed in the the sort of the, the entertainment and music industry? Well, I have. Yes. Yeah. So t- towards the end of the nineties, it started getting harder to get the uh, a lot of bands got dropped towards the end of the 90s it was it was becoming a, a sort of different landscape with with uh streaming i don't, I don't know when that started but yes. definitely record sales were kind of going going down and other ways of listening to music were were coming up and i got into uh doing live sound so i i, I very quickly became an a uh, a live engineer just because i was a, had been a studio engineer and done a lot of touring so i i started i was became the engineer for steel ice span if you remember them i, I went into the quite heavily oh. into the folk world yes yeah, so no I, I did an interview with um the lead the woman the lead singer maddie Pryor. maddie Pryor, and um yeah. i mean she's she's awesome i mean and i have to say my brother, who was seven years older than me, so he's, yeah. I remember in the 70s, he was very into prog rock, so I used to sneak mm-hmm. in and listen to those records, as well as Deep Purple and Black Sabbath. But he loved, um, yeah, Steel Ice Band, so there was a couple of albums he had that I really liked. Um, and I've always kind of had quite a fondness of, of Steel Ice Band, well, other, well, I, than, I, other than All Around My Hat, which was quite hard to digest, it, really. It was funny, a few years later, I was asked to to work with Fleet Foxes partly because they knew i'd work with steel i span it's right. like a real chain round yes because um, a lot of those those bands were really into sort of the english folk and that, yes. that sort of scene and i also worked with my, uh, john martin and um danny thompson classic uh, around folk. about that so, yeah i did a load of stuff and a lot, lot with maddie Pryor. it was really good it was a really good time to learn how to do live sound Yes, with, and it was with interesting something. with Maddie because I, when I interviewed her, I did sort of say, and it's interesting after what you've just been talking about, about like those folk people, folk musicians, they just live on the road, don't they? They just don't stop. They, and I, I and really, I asked her how yeah. she how she said, well, that's what you do when you're a folk musician. You just play live. Uh, I was really comfortable in that world, and we it was such fun touring with those those and they were obviously it was quite nice again because i then became the youngest one again on the road he was like yes i'm back i'm back i'm not i don't have to grunt when i sort of sit down or go oh you know they they loved finishing the gig going back to the hotel going to the bar and just laughing it was just really good fun Um, yeah i mean it it was kind of you know and it's funny because was it um martin carthy and his daughter eliza i mean they eliza, were the yeah. touring last year in norwich you know it's like my god you know you don't 
but folk musicians don't stop they just that's what they do isn't they it? don't no that's that was what was so good about it because i was just doing back-to-back -to -back tours if i wanted to with, yeah. with folk and it was i mean it was all a lot a lot in the uk there was a little bit of european stuff but it, but it wasn't a lot of travel yeah but then but then after that um because i'd started doing live sound i, I was friends with simon raymond and he was obviously just started belly union records yes. at that point and um he said oh you do live sound come and do some of my bands and also tour manage you don't have to do much he said don't have to do much just tour you, you just just drive the band around look after the money so I'd, i started doing a, uh, i started with i think midlake i know i started with john grant's um with the czars and then midlake um on their first album which was an incredible album and then the deers and laura veers and then i did i did a tour with sufian stevens who was on a who was on rough trade then but it was all that i sort of got drawn back into that world which yeah which musically i was kind of more comfortable with and um yeah, I've, I'm still really good friends with Simon, and we, uh, I, you know, see. It. I, I I recently did um, Eric Polito's band E.B. the Younger, um, which is out on, which is about, yeah, released through Belly Union Records. So I've oh. been still sticking in with the Midlake bunch. Really good yeah. friends with them. They're all good, good, a good bunch. Yes. So with um, so that kind of takes you up to the to the current day, the current moment, apart from this year. Yeah. Um, yes, I guess so. That's kind of what I've been doing: um, tour managing, sound engineering. Sound engineering is kind of what I enjoy most, I think. Yes. And and just just being touring really. But yeah, when the when the lockdown hit all my tours went out the window like everyone else's. So I just cleared the, cleared the space in the garage, which here I am right here in the garage studio, set my drums up, started playing again. And I've been, yeah. yeah. And what, and do you, I mean, do you sort of have much contact with, with the other members of the Sundays at all? Do you occasionally get the odd Christmas card or the odd? Mm -hmm. I think, I think it was very exciting the moment I set up a WhatsApp group with us. Uh, it was just the the 30, 30 year anniversary of the release of Reading, Writing, and Arithmetic. Jesus so we Jesus. have a we have a, we have a yeah exactly. So we have a bit. That's that's nice. That's a nice bit of contact. So we 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 get occasional yes. um, you know, little messages on that between the between the four of us. Yeah, is it the case? I mean. I always think reunions and and all that kind of go terribly badly, don't they? Really, um, mostly. Mm. Um, but do you ever kind of? I mean, at least you didn't sort of have any major falling out. I mean, do you ever no. sort of feel like with time and passing the time that not temptations want to sort of re recreate it, but just to say, actually, we play some quite nice music. It'd be quite nice just for a thing to do, to occasionally just kind of in this day of Zoom as well, just kind of playing a bit together or just seeing if there's any music. Because obviously, you know, you've stayed with music, obviously Harriet and David, and and I don't know um, about Paul, you, but, 
but do you, you know they must still kind of think god I, I must have equipment and wanting to occasionally sing songs can you just hold that thought a second yes i've got to just plug in the power for this i've forgotten to put the power in so just give me one second sure sorry about that back with you yes no i mean just that sense of playing music still and um you know what what happens when people stop the band but you think well what what does happen to people who were once writing material having that creative urge obviously that doesn't completely go away i just wondered <clears throat> you know if if there is that kind of moment within the band or various units of the band yeah i they've never stopped making music i can i can say that that they've they have material that i've i've played on some of it in over the last few few years so there is stuff there it's whether they ever feel ready that it the number one that it's appropriate to release yes they think it's good enough that it's that, that there's a reason for it but it, you know the stuff i've heard that i've played on is fantastic there's there's no no doubt about that yeah you know they'll they'll decide if they if they ever feel that they want to do that and they feel it's good enough then i think we might hear some new material yeah and hopefully hopefully i'll i'll be on playing on it well absolutely no it's kind of interesting because because a lot of bands i mean there's the other theory i have the 30 year old 30 30 years theory yeah so often you know like people have done the music for five years it's mm. kind of had all that ups and downs and thought fuck it we've had enough you know we've all fallen out i mean this didn't happen with your band but you know we've had no money get on with the rest of your life and then sort of slowly look back you know 10 years later going no it's still too painful 20 years oh it's a bit painful oh, 25 <laughs> not so painful because other things happen in life you know we you know we have you know, friendships deaths you know pets dying you know other bigger things than just being in the band so i think you start to look back on certain things and think it really doesn't matter i don't know why we fell out and then, you know, occasionally kind of thinking, oh, actually, it'd be quite nice just to jam again and just have a bit of a play here and there, but not too serious. Let's not give up the day job kind of thing. And, you know, I know quite a few people who've just kind of gone back and released a few singles here and a few EPs there, you know, and you thought, oh, OK, you know, and it, you can just tell that it's like they just want to enjoy it for what it is and not sort of get carried away. And, I just, you know, so I was just kind of curious if that happens with, you know, like bands like the Sundays as well, where you just think, yeah, you know, people are just kind of, it's like, it's about the music, like you were saying about your folk world that you'd sort of entered into where people were just kind of enjoying it for what it is while still running the bed and breakfast as Maddie does, doesn't she? Yes, exactly. She's got <laughs> her little uh, stuff going up there in Cumbria, little, little uh, courses and yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I think that 30 year thing's interesting, 25, 30 years, because I, I think what has happened is um they've they've had you know either and this isn't the case with the with the sundays that we had a falling out or anything but no i think that can happen but i think i think you get to that point where the kids leave they you know when they're 18 they go to go to university or they just move out yeah and i think then you're sort of sitting there going well yeah why not what's stopping us yeah and uh i think we've we we've got a possibility that could that could happen if, yeah. if they wanted to i've uh, i i i went and saw saw them and i laid it out and i said look you can do touring and then it's very different now it's a 
it's a more comfortable environment to 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 perform in it's um you've got more the technology is 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 fantastic now obviously so you can have in-ear monitors and you can you can yeah have you don't need to have guitar amps even you can yeah. you can just plug in devices that sound like better than guitar amps but um so i think it's all there if anyone wanted to, if they wanted to do it then we could do it pretty yes. easily and you must feel really proud of the work that you did and the albums that you produced it, um, released and made because because they do stand the test of time which i think because doing this show okay and and having interviewed all these bands i have to confess i haven't listened a lot yeah. of the bands i've interviewed i didn't hear the first time around but then thought oh i must get that band and then i listened to it and i think wow that's amazing that's really good you know and then and there's been a lot and then i sort of you got to remember back in the 80s you couldn't just kind of get the music that easily and you didn't want to spend 4.99 buying an album just because the enemy journalist made it album of the week because that was a disaster so mm. you kind of hear oh yeah i will read that this album's out but you weren't going to take a chance on it so that goes and then you you know occasionally you go oh look the bundu boys love that one or oh, the smiths must get that one so there was a lot that passed me by so now i sort of go back and i interview a lot of these bands i listen to the records and i think this is fantastic actually the music that was made back then is is really good and i'm not just being it's not nostalgia because i didn't hear it the first time and mm. um and so you must also feel like you listen to that some of it and think actually that is that's pretty incredible yes yeah, so i'm actually more proud of the live work we did i think but and, and particularly that like i was saying about that blind tour i think we were uh, a really really good live band at that point and i would yeah I'd, I'd love to go back and see you know that show be there in that in one of those gigs because i yes. think there must have been really a, a great experience and it, it it wasn't it's not like a show band obviously it's it's not jumping around and and I'd, we don't nobody in the in who makes this sort of music likes the expression shoegazy shoegazy music oh god yes <laughs> but we were concentrating hard on playing sort yeah. of some quite quite tricky things on and and interlinking them and i think when you see a band like that i think once if you can understand what's going on with the music you and you can really get into it and you can see how much the band are focused and they're playing like a real unit they're not jumping around and making faces they're concentrating and they're making like some amazing music. Yes. Uh, that's that those moments when we were playing like that as a band are the are sort of what I'm really proud of. And the, and the albums are, are good. Um I think I think we were better live, that's all. Yes. Personally. Well, it's interesting because uh, because I'd forgotten that whole Sarah Records thing from '88, '89, and a yeah. lot of those bands. And actually, they were they were some stunning stuff. And, and stuff that Amelia Fletcher did with Luda Gosh yeah. and then Heavenly were just I, Heavenly, especially. You know, I've gone back and listened to it and been like really impressed. And again, you know, it was you know they were trying to do some quite interesting things. So they weren't going to do the splits or go down on their knees. Exactly, and I don't. I'd, you know i hate seeing bands like that personally i like to see a band who who are playing not fancy not playing you know virtuoso particularly 
but just playing as a band like yeah. they're just and i think sometimes when you get when you get musicians who are kind of just about holding it together as well but they're but they've played together so much that they've got this kind of gelled you know thing going on and they're kind of moving everything's moving together then that is what i like to see most in a yeah. band and obviously the sundays you you achieve that because you know obviously not every band is a live band isn't it sometimes they look quite sort of awkward on stage or yeah definitely, they yeah. didn't enjoy it but obviously you were a live band so it does kind of help when it comes to the recording process we played a lot more shows i think than people think we did we at the end of that uh the tour um I think we'd done nearly a hundred shows around the US. So it was, yeah, it was like a, we were, we were playing, we were touring quite hard. Yes, actually, I suppose most people don't realise what you did in America. I mean, have you managed to document both the band and also your own career, but especially the Sundays? Because it's one of those things that the other thing about 30 years, 25 years sometimes, um, is kind of archiving stuff and sort of, actually it's quite nice. And, and obviously we have, Cherry Red Records that loves to archive stuff, but a lot of you know musicians and people I know have just really liked to go back and just get everything that they've got and put mm. it out and just say, right, that's it. Just because we obviously realise that you know things in the attic are going to get thrown out if you're not careful. <laughs> yeah, I I wouldn't be involved so much in 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 doing that personally, but I I don't think anyone's anyone's putting anything together at the moment. Yeah, but um, but I would like to see that. I'd be, I, this is something that Paul was saying to me, and he's saying, you know, he was in the band because he was a fan first, and he was a sort of member of the band second. Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel. I'm I'm more a fan of the music, and I would be as excited as you know the number one fan of the sundays to see uh you know some something like that come out yes absolutely just to see it yeah i know it's quite so, nice yeah thing. i hope so i hope so i hope something will come out well it kind of keeps a le certain legacy because i realize well, how do things continue and obviously there are certain ways of doing it Musicals. yeah I don't, I, don't, I, I don't think if we ever did a, a tour it would be you know again it would be sort of trying to yeah recreate that it would be what it is now yeah but often it's kind of i don't know there's been quite a few films that have come out lately hasn't there like the chills and the slits and the go-betweens and yeah. the wedding present which has been good so look after decades mm. of being in the music world and being in bands as well as well as in like the sundays i mean if you could have said something to your 18 year old self i just wondered what you'd have given them that bit of worldly wisdom um get some points on the record <laughs> <laughs> just write a song <laughs> write a song god damn it <laughs> get a verse in there it's <laughs> just a b-side <laughs> yes i know how does it yeah. i mean i mean it might because some most people say oh yeah we occasionally get a 60 pound check every three years and we have to divide it between the <laughs> members so we just give it to charity do you i mean does that how does it work with you like you and, and the band do you sort of go oh great i've got my my 60 pound check this year or does do you get any you know does that i have no idea how the music business work by the way yeah so 
in 96 the the record companies suddenly was I, th- I don't know how it happened but someone suddenly realized that the record companies were taking all the money that was supposed to go to the musicians who had played on a record when the record was played on the radio so it was a thing called pamra happened and you could um you could list all the all the songs you'd played on and put them into the whatever mm-hmm. online and then you got money back you started getting money and i've started getting i mean it's not a fortune but it's it's nice to get a little bit of money when when you know you didn't before yeah um every month i get a little little bit of something and it's sometimes not too bad but um yeah and and that's from a non-writing sort of standpoint so yeah if you've written something then yeah you can you can do pretty well out of it but yeah I'm... go to waitrose <laughs> <laughs> absolutely but, yes and did you i mean when you know i mean i'm not trying to cross prior but did paul also <laughs> sort of play with some of these kind of like later de- demos was it the was it the four of you um i don't think he did and i'd like it i'd love it if he if if it came out that he was on it yeah if he was playing on it i'm not sure how much he he he's playing at the moment yes that that would be but i don't think he minds i think he would be as happy to see to see that the material come out whether he's playing on them or not and i think he would be overjoyed yeah well, that sounds good. Well, I'm brilliant. Well, look, Patrick, thank you ever so much for saying yes to the interview, which has been great, That's actually. Okay. <laughs> it's oh, good. good. Um, never, it's been... To be honest, I've never, I've never got involved in any of that in the, in the uh, old for days. Sure. And I've never really done anything like this. So, so yeah, thanks for inviting me. And it's, it's enjoyable to, to chat about this stuff. Yeah, no, it's good. Yeah. And it's funny because I've done an interview with Simon many years ago and he, he said it was ah, brilliant because um obviously there was three members and two were in a relationship yes <laughs> yeah we f- we feel his pain yeah <laughs> that was not <laughs> Partic- diluted particularly since they kind of got close to to putting some shows back together i think they got booked for coachella at one point and then it all got blown out the yeah uh, yeah so that was, that was really hard yeah, it must be tricky. Anyway, look, that, that mm. ship has probably sailed. But anyway, it's great. I'm pleased that, um, yes, David and Harriet are still sort of happy and... Uh, yeah, happy. they're all happy and healthy and, yeah. Enjoying life. Indeed. Indeed. Anyway, you better get back to your your drum kit. I've got some drumming practice to do, yeah. The, the, the neighbours aren't, you know, not so close these days, so it's, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> well look patrick ever thank you ever so much for this it's been amazing thank you <laughs> cool okay i'm gonna hit end is that cool that's brilliant thank you very much david take bye. care thank you bye-bye and that was me in conversation with patrick hannah um a huge thank you for giving me the time for that interview as you can tell i was very excited i hardly wanted to say goodbye anyway one time drummer with the sundays the audience and much, much more. Anyway, this has been David Easter. I've probably said that already. Anyway, if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Twitter. 
Who uses Twitter? Anyway, you can on C86 Show. Also, these have all been archived and you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Just do C86 Show and uh, hundreds of interviews with bands. I know. Check it out. Thanks. Have a great week. Stay safe.